0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action.
1: Uh, we're going to do things a little differently today, which uh, I think you'll enjoy. Um, we're plowing through in this series called The Master Class, which is just one of the greatest teachings of all time given by the greatest teacher of all time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying not to leave out any of the subjects whatsoever that are in, and there's a ton of them. And so some of you might not know this, but the, the subjects that we might be skipping over on the Sunday mornings that we're, pre, that we're doing a message on on Sunday mornings, we're kind of picking those up in life groups, and we've done videos to uh, help uh, teach those subjects that are the kind of maybe the smaller ones or the ones that we're not going to focus on. But today, we got a, we got a subject today.
0: We got a doozy today, Pastor Barry. We do. I'm excited. And we're going to do it a little different today. We're going to spend some time just talking to you and uh, talking to each other and uh, just a little more relaxed style this morning because um, two heads are better than one, right? Two heads are better than one, right? Oh, there you are. I've told you time and time again, I'm going to ask you again. Well, you know we're going to ask you again if you don't (laughs) respond the first time, so Uh, that's fine though. We can do that. Um, so, Pastor Barry, we've been talking about, obviously, you said the master class. Yep. We've been doing this series. It's been great. Um, you know, you and I, I think we're talking, I don't know if it was this week or last week, but one of the themes that has come out of this class that we didn't necessarily, or out of this sermon series, that we didn't necessarily intend, I think, was this theme of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And it's not, when we were planning it, it didn't, that wasn't really in the cards, so to speak. We didn't think about that, but it's really kind of become a central theme in this teaching, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, and you know, the master class or the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first public sermon, and it's interesting that that's what he went to so many times on all these subjects that are so difficult. A lot of difficult subjects. We talked about um, the first week was uh, the Beatitudes, and those are so difficult to to deal with. Then we talked about um, uh, uh, what did we talk about? Some really good stuff. Last week was adultery.
0: <laughs> adultery, yeah. Let's yep. see if
1: you know what the week before was. <laughs> it was. It was incredible. It was? Okay. It changed my life. <laughs> but these I'm subjects sure. are tough. They're yeah. They're like, each one of them, they're so in your face. How many have, have been a little convicted by some of those? Uh, I mean, last week was just like, whoosh. And, and this week's really no different. And Jesus, again... Um, you can't really jump to this, this idea where, where, you, where you take one or two verses and you make your whole theology out of it. It's so important that you understand that. And, and let me just say this. You know why there's a lot of people in this world that are mad at the church? A lot of people in this country that are mad at the church? One of the reasons this, uh, the church has lost its influence in this country to some, ex- to some extent is because people have taken one or two verses, created a theology, and then rammed it down people's throats until they're like, well, I guess I don't even qualify to come to church. I can't even be there. It's too much for me. I'll fail every time. And that wasn't the intent of Christ at all, ever. He was always the God. He, was always, he always had the message of redemption. Amen? Yes. We serve a redeeming God. And I, I think that's so important to remember even in this subject.
0: Well, I think especially in this subject, it's totally important to remember because, the, you know, you look through Scripture with certain lenses, I think, when you read Scripture. And this one in particular, I think as we delve into it, it's just, it's a hot topic and it's a hard topic. And it's, it's been one that's caused a lot of division and a lot of issues. And so I think as we go into this and we start talking about it, it's important to have that lens of, you know, spirit of the law versus letter of the mm-hmm. law. And that lens of a good biblical theology, not just a one or two verse theology, as we yeah. kind of dive into what we're going to be talking gets in, about. Gets today. into
1: hermeneutics, you know what that means?
0: Hermeneutics, yeah, that's the study of the Word of God, and that's interpreting the Word of God and, and correctly speaking about the Word of God. Ten dollar so. raise
1: right there. So.
0: Did, you take in, did you take any away because I couldn't remember the sermon from two weeks ago? No. Okay, good. All right, Devin, we can eat
1: this week. Good news. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hermeneutics um, is taking all of the scripture and letting scripture interpret scripture, right? Right. Um, so today,
0: uh, with this in mind, let's—I want to go ahead and just jump into the scripture. found in Matthew, chapter five, verses thirty-one through thirty-two. You can open up your Bibles to those verses, your or phones. you can look up on the screen. What's that? <laughs> or your phones? Or your phones? Yep. Or your phones. Your Bibles. <laughs> look up on the screens. You get a lot of options here today. It says this: Jesus talking. He says, you've heard that it says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Okay, tough verse. Let me read it for you because I think it brings a little different light to it if I read it into the message version, uh, the message paraphrase. Same verses, I'm going to read it for you in that, that uh, translation. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights? Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are illegal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she's already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask moral failure. So, Tough scriptures, obviously, yeah. um, but I think that we need to probably take it back and do some definitions, do some defining.
1: Sure, why, first of all, why did, why did Jesus only uh, speak to the men there? Like, men, you, you can divorce your wives. Why, couldn't, why, why didn't he address wives divorcing their husbands?
0: It's a good question. Um, mainly because at that point in time, the, uh, the legal obligation of whether a couple stayed together was on the men. And the men in this scenario were the ones who were divorcing their wives. And that's why, like you see, it really comes out in the message version. Yeah. The men were the one who were divorcing their wives and they were using it as an excuse Essentially, they wanted to sleep with a different woman. And so right. they were using that as an excuse to be able to get rid of their wife. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of it. And in, in that, like I said, in the message, it really, really brings that Right, idea it's that out. spirit
1: of the law versus letter of the law. And actually, you can see, and we do this too sometimes, we take the letter of the law of scripture and we use it to prove our point or to get what we want. And that's exactly what the Jewish people were doing that Jesus was speaking to. They were using the law. They were following the law, the, the letter of the law but they were totally missing the spirit behind it, the spirit of intent behind that law.
0: Yep, that's exactly what was happening. And so, in order to kind of fully engage this topic this morning, I think it's a good idea if we go back and talk about what is marriage? Yeah. You know, where did it come from? Why marriage? You know, Why did God create it? Um, so in order to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter two. If you remember this story, uh, Adam was alone in the Garden of Eden. God had given him tasks to do, mm-hmm. and God saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone because we know a guy, any guy that has too much alone time is just not, it's not, it's not a good, good scenario. And you get right. two guys with too much alone time and something's going to get
1: broken. Yeah, or someone's going so, so God said, it's not good. So, well, God kind of, he said, um, I'm going to give you a helper, Adam. Yep. You're going to need a helper. And, he, and Adam said, what's it going to cost me? And um, God said, an arm and a leg. And he goes, well, what can I get for a rib? You know, yeah, that's good. Now, for you women, God had to perfect His creation, right? <laughs> so the second time it was perfect, right? <laughs> no, He's perfect every time. I'm so just messing.
0: <laughs> God brings His helper, Adam, our Adam's helper, which is Eve, and uh, He calls her woman because she was taken from man. And then Genesis uh, two twenty four, um, it talks about the fact that God specifically, well. God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so God instituted the very first system that God ever created was marriage. I mean, the very first first thing that he ever did. And and that marriage is, you know, one man,
1: one woman for life. That was... One man, one woman for life. That's one man, one woman for life. One man, one woman for life. You hear it the other way so many times, I'm just going to say it again. One man, one woman for life. You got that? That's scripture. Yeah. That's scripture. It is. All right. Yeah, if you don't like it, we didn't write it. Okay. That's right. Got we're it. just reading it.
0: <laughs> um, so that's, that was the official institution. Yeah, of and it
1: also takes, takes into account this, that, that homes were supposed to be marriage-centered. I think it's, it's important to, to think about marriage in your home, marriage being the center relationship with God at the center of the marriage, of course, but not kid-centered homes, you know, and sometimes we have lots of problems in our homes because the child is the center and the married couple is not the center. And, um, of course, Jesus is the center. You get that in the center of the marriage. But that's an important thing to... to Yeah, and one of the things you say often is, um,
0: you know, a couple, a husband and a wife is a family, yeah, it's not a husband, wife, and a child as a
1: family. Yeah, I kind of hate that wife. phrase. Let's yeah. start a family by having kids. You started it the day you said "I do." That started the family. That is a family. Okay. Yeah.
0: So God, God sets this institution of marriage up. He He defines the marriage uh, boundaries, so to speak. Um, but marriage, I mean, it was it was so much more than just oh, you yeah. know the institution. There's more to it than
1: that. Marriage is really, and and hear this, church, it is a picture of Jesus as the groom and the church as the bridegroom, or the bride. I'm sorry, Jesus as the bridegroom or the the groom of the bride, and the church as the bride. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. I I think it's really interesting that that is supposed to be an illustration of, of what is to come. When Jesus comes back for his church, and 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 marries her in, essentially becomes one with the church, uh, and um, you know I think about that in reference to the marriages that we that we deal with on a on a weekly basis. It seems like in and out of the office, different things that we come in contact with because uh, marriages are are in trouble. I mean, yeah. in, in this country, what, and it doesn't really matter if. You're talking in church or outside the church. The statistics are about the same, which is really alarming. Um, For the Christian, if we're not thinking of our marriage as a picture to the culture around us of Jesus and His church, we're blowing it because He's given us that for a purpose. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, even in Ephesians five, we 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 see it listed. You know, women are supposed to undergird and. And, and come underneath and support and lift up their husbands and then it goes right into the husbands have to love their wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and then it goes into washing her with the word and, and all that kind of stuff but then it says and I'm not talking about husbands and wives now I'm talking about Jesus and the church I'm talking mysteries to you here and and so there's this connection that marriage needs to look like Christ in the church and what a what a a lot to put on a marriage but It's a responsibility as much as it is um, just, you know, if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, we're so selfish, you know, when it comes to marriage. Marriage should be about, again, mirroring that image. And we're not perfect, I get that, but it's about mirroring that image. So even when you go back,
0: like in the Old Testament, um, there's a story about this prophet by the name of Hosea, and he marries, and God tells him specifically, marry this prostitute named Gomer, okay? Number one, marrying a prostitute is, isn't always a great idea. Number two, if she's named
1: Gomer, then you better have a word from the Lord. That's not one of the most popular names right now for for girls, I, <laughs> right. I imagine. Gomer, um, that or Jezebel. You know, you don't see anybody yeah, naming their kids Jezebel don't or Gomer. Do that. So.
0: But he tells it, he tells him specifically to marry Gomer, and Gomer continually runs off on him. And God knew that that was going to happen when he told. Go, uh, Hosea to Mary Gomer, and he uses it as an illustration of God saying, I'm faithful, but Israel continues to go out and cheat on me, essentially. So yep. even before the Old Testament, there's that, that idea that marriage is to represent the faithfulness of God, and it's supposed to be a witness to the entire world and an illustration of what that sure. is, which I think is, is more, I think it even brings more weight to the idea that, you know, as we go into the to Malachi, we understand that, you know, since God created marriage and he's using it as an illustration, it makes sense that he Hates divorce.
1: Yeah. And I say this all the time that, that uh, marriage is more than a contract. It is a covenant. Everybody say covenant. covenant. Covenants have stronger teeth than contracts. Contracts can be um, uh, broken if the person doesn't live up to the conditions of the contract. Covenants don't depend on conditions. It's unconditional love. And so that, if you put that in the, in the context of marriage, whoa, again, a lot of responsibility. Right. And God made a covenant with his people through the shedding of his blood, right? So there again, you see that mirror image between marriage of a, one man and one woman and Jesus and the church being a thing. And this is why you just said it, God absolutely, and this is just something to always know, and we're not here to condemn anybody today. Yep. Um, we're just going over some scriptural thoughts here, but God hates He hates divorce. And those of you that have been divorced, you know that that's true because you hate it too. It's no fun to go through, amen? It's no fun to go through that. God hates divorce. That's just a a principle we need to remember throughout this discussion. So in Malachi chapter
0: 2, verses 14 through 16, um, God really calls this out and he says, "'You cry out, why does not the Lord accept my worship? "'I'll tell you why. "'Because the Lord witnessed the vows between you "'and the wife, I'm sorry, "'you and your wife made when you were young.'" But you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of
1: heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Again, this is pointed at men, it seems like, but it would Mm -hmm. also... Culturally, uh, then that is why, because that was the way it was. But today, that would that would go the other way too. Um, Do not be unfaithful to your husband. Right? It doesn't give the wives a pass on that. It just it's just a cultural thing. Right. So so when we talk about divorce and
0: you know the 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 fact that you said God hates it. Not only does God hate it, but people that have been through it hate it. And we see the devastation that divorce leaves on our culture. I mean, the financial impact. On society, the financial impact on a couple uh, from divorce is overwhelming. You know, now you you have the same amount of. Uh, Not only you don't have just the same amount of bills because you have two people living in two separate places with the same amount of money coming in. You have to pay lawyer fees. You have to you know there's a lot of expenses that come with it, and obviously the financial impact ruins people. Divorce has ruined more than one person just just the financial aspect of it.
1: And if you could if you could figure out I don't know if anybody really can the true economic devastation that happens through or because of divorce. I would be so bold as to say it is a very big factor in why this country is near $30 trillion in debt. Um, it affects every part of life. And that's why the family unit is just central and so important, and that marriage is such an important thing. Yeah. When you split it, it just all of society just kind of crumbles because that's the foundation yep. of it. And then
0: you see that played out in the kids too. Absolutely. I mean, anytime divorce enters the scene and kids are at the, uh, you know, they take the brunt of that. And some of you grew up in divorce, Uh, broken homes and, you know, some of you have kids that have, Um, it's devastating. You know, I think back to, there's a show that we used to watch, Devin and I, called Intervention, and it was people that dealt with serious addictions, you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever, and it was always the same story every time. They would say, life was great, I was a good student, you know, things were going fine, and then one or two things would happen. Either they would get molested or their parents got divorced. Every time. Yep. And Huge then, deal. Yep, then they're left in this, this wake, and they're, they're, they don't know how to function because there's a safety net in a home where mom and dad love each other, and there, there's security there, and that's where kids gain their security. And So when divorce happens, it, it shakes up that security, and it, it can really mess with kids as they grow up.
1: Well, when you do something for a long time, and, and even when, when Pastor Calloway was the pastor here, he did a lot of counseling. I've done less counseling, but I've done a lot myself. It's very interesting, though, when you go back and you look at notes that you've made and you file those notes away and you just think through, okay, what are some trends over 20 years? Family destruction as a result of divorce, and and I'm not just talking about the family breaking up. I'm talking about destruction, like kids just going crazy and falling into all sorts of things. You, we see it over and over and over and over again and you can trace it back to those divorces again i'm not condemning anybody i'm just saying over 20 years there's trends and you, i can't ignore that as a pastor amen yeah
0: yeah because anytime you step outside of god's design it's going to mess things up i mean that is god created the family to be the unit in which kids flourish and when you step outside that i mean just naturally there's going to be consequences and we see those consequences through statistics. You know, kids that come from divorce homes are more likely to be in jail, their test scores are lower, they're more uh, prone to anxiety and depression. I mean, it's just a natural consequence of stepping outside and of God's design.
1: Absolutely. And then even the couple going through however long it takes to heal up from those, from those emotional stresses, yeah. sometimes they never heal. Yeah. Those scars are just there and it affects everything they do in the future. And so yeah, there's reasons why God hates divorce. There's no, there's no doubt. And even just those reasons, are, they're a slam dunk to me. They're a drop the mic kind of thing. No divorce should ever happen, right? Jesus said it. That's it. That's what we believe. Done, right? But
0: it there's the human condition, right? There is, uh, you know, the fact that we are sinful, flawed people. And uh, things happen that sometimes are outside of our control. Things happen sometimes against us that are sinful and wrong. And so you can say, you know, we say that they, God hates divorce, and he does, and no divorce should ever happen, and we're right in saying that. However, um, we live in a sinful, broken world, and so God was not without grace when he, uh, when he knew that and talked about that. Even back in Matthew 5, we see that there was grace in that, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a tendency sometimes, even in some of the Christian circles today, there's been so much hurt through people who have been through divorce I mean, there's been people in churches and they'll take this scripture and they'll just throw it in their face and say, you were wrong, you're an adulterer, you're living in adultery. Um, there's just yeah. been a lot, of, a lot of hurt and a lot of misunderstanding and, there. And, right? and
1: I, I want to say this, that, that I, as a pastor, I never tell people, get divorced. I don't say that. Um, but I have said, there may be biblical grounds here. The the hard part is 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 knowing the the heart in it, mm-hmm. and the condition of the heart. Um, we we kind of sit in a position where people they want your permission to do things, and we don't know all the all the story. Sometimes you try to get all the story, but you only get as much as they give you, and then you have to make these incredibly difficult decisions. And well, you'll just hear from God and you'll make that decision, right? Um, yeah, thanks. That's hard. Because no matter what you do in one of those situations, you, you alienate someone and you hurt someone. Or or you uh, you water down the word of God, or you you cause issues that you don't wanna you don't wanna cause. I mean this this is a difficult thing because every situation is different. And I think it's important to understand, again, spirit of the law versus letter of the law. And back in Matthew 5, again, it was letter of the law. Jesus was addressing these men who were taking advantage of the law to use it for their own. Uh, the, they were just using the law to get what they want and do whatever they wanted sexually, which is sick, really, right? And, and that's what he was addressing. That's why he says it so strong, I think, to them. But again, if, when you take the whole counsel of the word of God, there are concessions that are given in God's word Four, if, 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 if a divorce needs to happen, this is one of those concessions. And yeah. so there's biblical reasons for divorce. Yeah. And even though God hates divorce, yeah. there are some biblical reasons.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, as pastors, we sit in this position of, on one hand, we don't want to compromise the word of God, you know, because there are some standards there that, that apply to marriage and divorce. But on the other hand, uh, God is, by his nature, redemptive. Right. And there is grace in in Jesus Christ and so we're trying to you got to try to balance those things out and and everything there's a million and one scenarios when it comes to this topic of divorce and you and I were talking about it we just kept throwing scenario after scenario at each other what about this and what about this and yeah
1: I I I once knew a man who uh, um, his wife divorced him he was not necessarily a uh, uh, what I would call a habitual offender in this but he, uh, in a weak moment, clicked on, a, on an icon that popped up in his computer while he was in the icon, who uses that word anymore, a link, there we go, um, clicked on a link, I'm old, <laughs> uh, clicked on a link, and it took him to a page that was, that was not right, okay, some pornography came up, his wife walked in, saw it, and, and as I spoke with, with him, because she didn't want anything to do with anything after that, she was done, it was divorce, he cheated on me, I'm getting a divorce, um, he was unfaithful in that moment, and talking with him, um, I was pretty convinced, this is a one-time thing, I knew the, knew the man's heart, I'd seen his heart, and um, this, this just happened, it was a weak moment, and he, he got, his sin found him out, he admitted the sin, he repented of the sin, but there was no more marriage after that, and that, that was pretty extreme. But there again, you go back to the, the word in, in, in that, or that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5, if you're unfaithful, so that gets down to the definition of unfaithful. Was he unfaithful in that moment? Absolutely. Was it a habitual, ongoing thing? No. Probably not. That was more his wife looking for a reason to get out of the marriage. And she got out of the marriage, and she was... Let's just say there was, there was no fault in her ever whatsoever in that situation, and it was, it was, really, it was really a tough thing, and, and I remember many times uh, um, getting phone calls and, and listening to the weeping of this man because he made one mistake. I, I've also known people who have had, couples who've had um, situations where there's been basically physical affair after physical affair, and... Um, you know, very much reason and, and grounds or concessions are made in scripture, to, and we'll get into that in a minute, for divorce. But the spouse refused to, uh, to give into that and said, I'll get a divorce. You know, because I talked to them about it, I didn't say get a divorce, but um, they said, the Holy Spirit has not released me. And the marriage in the end has been saved. And so, you know, where one person had maybe concessions and didn't get the divorce and let God's grace and redemption come in and save it, another person didn't give marriage, I mean, a chance at all and just threw it out the second they could. And so there's hard there's issues involved here that are next to impossible for us pastors. Can I just say this? Pray for us. Because this is hard stuff for us. It's very hard. When you love people and you want the best for them, and then you see these things happen... It's just tough. It's tough, and it's so wonderful to to uh, to be a part of those those situations where someone says, "I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit in this. I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to hang on. I'm gonna do all that I possibly can." Then, if if that's what happens, that's what happens. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and that's just a quick idea of just a couple of different
0: scenarios. We've seen a lot of them. Um, So let's let's get into what are some of those concessions. What are some of those guidelines, uh, even for remarriage, when, when there's, there's times when things uh, don't work out or there's, there's sin that's happening within the marriage? I think the first one, there, there's five of them that we're going to talk about Yeah, today. there's
1: five of them that we kind of use as, as guidelines, guidelines for us yeah. as pastors that we have identified in Scripture, that the Assemblies of God identifies in Scripture, and that we, we, flow, we flow with and we go along with. Um, the first one being... Unfaithfulness. The first one's a marital unfaithfulness. And that's the one that we just read in, in
0: Matthew chapter 5, 32. And it's also found in Matthew 19. There's a similar discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And the word that Jesus uses, which is interesting in this case for marital unfaithfulness, is a Greek word that's translated, or the Greek word pornea. Uh, and pornea is not a word that means adultery, but it encases all types of sexual immorality. And not only does it encase all kinds of sexual immorality, it's also a word that, um, by its definition, uh, it also includes the idea that it's an ongoing habitual sort of sexual immorality,
1: not just a one-time offense. Very important that Jesus chose that word porneia because he could have chose a different Greek word that would have just specified adultery, right. which is sexual sin within the, mar- within the marriage or unfaithfulness in, in, in reference to the physical act of adultery. He yeah. could have specified that word, but he used the word porneia because, again, spirit of the law is all of it, right? Yeah. And not just not just this this laser-focused uh, uh, word that, that people were using to... Um, to sin because they were officially following the law, the letter of the law. Well, and
0: I think the other beauty of that is he uses that word pornea because it's not just I mean, there were, there were ways of marital and faithfulness that hadn't even been invented yeah. yet, you know. Yeah. And so God speaks to the, the sexual immorality that can take place in a marriage today where maybe a husband or wife are online with someone via video chat and they're cheating that way. You know, obviously they haven't even considered that back then, but that word pornea encompasses that idea, too. So uh, I think there's, there's an important um, aspect to that, too. So uh, interesting that he uses that. But that was one of the, the reasons that he—that was the reason he gave— uh, for a husband or and, like, and you know, I'll reiterate
1: this too with you. Um, the word pornea carries with it the idea of ongoing. Yeah, we. Yep, yeah, and you that said point. that, but that's important to understand because again, unfaithfulness. What is unfaithfulness? How do you define that? That one lady, I, the 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 example I gave, that was unfaithfulness, so it was over. Okay, is that the that's the letter of the law? But what's the spirit of the law? In all of these, I, what we look for as pastors is the couple to reach for redemption and forgiveness first. When they reach for kicking to the curb first, that doesn't look like Jesus, does it? So that there's these hard issues that we, we watch for, we look for, we try to sense, um, and and these aren't reasons to get divorced. I don't think anybody should be looking for reasons to get divorced because that is a hard issue. These are. If these are reasons that we look at if we're going to remarry somebody who's been divorced, and um, I think that's important to, to make that clear too. Yeah. Uh,
0: the second reason would be uh, abuse. Yep. That includes physical, emotional, sexual abuse. You know, when I think when it comes to abuse, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. I think a lot of people have been hurt by the church by this one too, because there's no verse explicitly in the Word of God that says you can get divorced if your spouse abuses you. Yeah, But right. we look at, this is important again, where we look at the entirety of Scripture and we look at the character and the nature of God throughout the Word of God. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, but you really see it in the Old Testament where God is a defender of the weak and he is a hater of people who are oppressors. And so there were times in Israel's history when Israel was oppressing other nations and God had some very, very harsh things to say. Um, even like metaphors, like I will take you and I will grab you by the head and I will drag you in the streets. You know, that's how he feels towards people who oppress the weak and abuse the weak. Uh, and then he had a lot of things to say about the weak. I'm gonna be your champion. I'm gonna be up your upholder. I'm gonna defend you. I'm gonna fight for you. And so, you know, there's no explicit verse that says it in the Bible, but man. There's no
1: getting around the fact that God hates abuse. Yeah, he's a, he's a defender of the weak and at every turn. And so you adopt this idea that spousal abuse. Now, now someone who's a letter of the law might say, well, um, I can get divorced if, if, if there's been unfaithfulness, if there's been adultery, of course I can get divorced. That gives me grounds. Um, but I can slap my wife around all I want, and there's no scripture, so she can't divorce me. You know, That would be letter of the law. Now... How many you know God? Nobody does? <laughs> How many know God? I mean, I, I'm I'm That's proud of knowing that. God. I don't know about you. I'm proud of it. I know God. <laughs> I know Him. How many know His nature is not, would never be to, to make someone or force someone to stay in that kind of an abusive relationship. And maybe not just physical. There's some there's some goofy mental abuse situations where people have been so abused mentally. Um, I'm careful with the verbal abuse thing because my husband called me dumb. I'm, I'm done. You know, there again, the the, the heart. It, I mean, has any has your spouse ever called you dumb? Is that abuse? Nobody wants. <laughs> Nobody answers. That. Good. <laughs> Notice I didn't ask you to answer that time twice. <laughs> but but honestly, again, is it ongoing? Is it just? Is it ripping you apart? Because there's a difference, and there's a level, and there's all that. So the heart has to be. Obviously, I want the marriage to be here. I want it to work. I want it to work. I want to get help. And when there's no, there's no uh, you know, reciprocation of that kind of feeling from, from the abusive spouse, whether it be the guy or, or, or the gal, it's tricky waters. It's definitely it is. Definitely and yet at the same waters. time,
0: if someone's being physically abused, we would never counsel that person to put themselves in harm's way never.
1: at any time, at any place, you know. That becomes a matter of safety, too, at that point. So. And hopefully even a separation, right. maybe getting help after that. Right. You could bring the marriage back together, again, looking for redemption. But sometimes, yeah. when, by the time we hear it, it's, it's too far yep. gone. Yeah, if it's possible.
0: And sometimes it's, it's absolutely not. And so abuse kind of transitions into our next one because there's, there's lines that get crossed. When it comes to things like neglect, you know, abuse and neglect, where does one stop? Where does one uh, start? It's kind of hard to tell. But the Bible is clear that there's. uh, Well, first of all, you know, it it makes a concession for unbelieving spouses. Is kind of where I'm going with this. Right. But um, you know, so you get into that situation where you have one spouse who's saved. A Christian, a follower, and you have another, another spouse who is not. And um, Paul talks about it. in, And I don't think we're going to take time to read it this morning because it's a long scripture. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul basically says, if you can live together peaceably, right. as a one, one person saved, the other person not, then please do. But um, if one person, if the unbeliever leaves the situation, then you're free
1: and released sure. to go about I, I, life. I, I think of Gail and Carol back here. Who got saved first? Gail, so Gail got saved and he was living with an unbeliever, Carol. This is a great example, you know, because uh, he could have said, woman, we're done because you're an unbeliever, you know, but he didn't. And thank God he didn't because Gail wouldn't have kept being a believer if, if Carol wouldn't have got saved and kept him on the straight and narrow, right? So we see those things happen. Sorry, Gail and Carol. But, uh, <laughs> but th- that, that happens. You have this couple who's, who's maybe not saved, they get saved. Or one of them gets saved and then you have, oh, there's conflict in the home. Um, they're not equally yoked anymore. That's grounds for divorce. Well, is it? Peacefully, Peacefully. can you live peaceably? Yeah. Because, and it says in that scripture too, you never know, wives, your husband might come to Christ because of you. Yeah. You never know, husbands, your wives may come to Christ because of you. Yeah. And that would be a wonderful thing. Again, God's, God's always about redemption.
0: Yeah.
1: It's his first thing. And honestly, you know, the best way to, to, to avoid
0: that scenario in the first place, and we talk about this a lot, is um, you know, if you're in a place where you're not in a marriage right now or you're looking to get married in the future, find a person that loves Jesus more than they love you. Amen. Don't try to marry someone and try to redeem them through missionary marriage. Does that work?
1: Yeah. Neither does missionary dating, by the way. Don't <laughs> yeah, do it. A...
0: It doesn't work. Yep. So find someone who loves Jesus, and then you, know, then we don't, you don't have to navigate those waters. Of and let me just say dope. this
1: for all you that are dating. If your significant other pulls you down spiritually and you're dating, dump them in a New York minute. Because if they're not lifting you up, they ain't spouse material. They're not marriage material, amen? amen. Make our job easier <laughs> for the love of Pete or whoever Pete is. I'm not talking again about moments. I'm talking about ongoing again. But if they're constantly pulling you down or even they don't think they're pulling you down or they don't think that, well, you you know, whatever. I can do what I want. You do what you want. It's over. It's over. It's over. Yeah, enough said. All right. The hard thing about this one would be when you have two saved people and one person says, I'm done with God. I'm walking away. That's very difficult because you don't, Probably are not going to have a very easy time pulling them back in. It's it's happened before, but that's yeah. that gets to be tough too. Yep. And so you go back to case, case piece, by peaceful. Yeah, it's just
0: million and one scenarios. Yep. Uh, the fourth one is uh, a divorce that happened prior to salvation. Um, yeah. You know, when we come to Christ. Uh, it's very clear in scripture that we are a brand new creation the old is gone the new has come the things that were done before the sins that were committed are separated as far from us as the east is from the west are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more and marriage our divorce is no uh, exception to that to that rule so you may have had a marriage prior to to coming to know Jesus God doesn't expect you to to know what you don't know and so, you know, you're not re- held responsible for the word of God when you don't know or know the word of God or, you know, know the standard of the word of God. And so uh, there's those situations where a divorce happened prior to to, marriage, or to uh, salvation. And uh, that's just like salvation happening to that person. Those things are gone.
1: New creation. And you're a
0: new creation. Yep. And you just go forward from that. We, place, we saw a
1: scenario when uh, when someone who worked with Teen Challenge and was, was dedicated to to helping men's lives be restored. Um, they had uh, married somebody who was divorced when they weren't saved. Okay, so this was back, yeah. her, his spouse got divorced prior to her salvation. And so she, uh, she was, uh, then he married her. Well, he could never, and this is the assemblies of God for you. Um, and I don't mean this in a bad way because they've changed this. They, they kind of go by a case by case now, which is wonderful for situations like this they would say he could never be credentialed. Back then, he could never be credentialed with the Assemblies of God because he married a divorced woman even though her divorce happened prior to salvation. Well, then he would help these young guys who had done every kind of drug imaginable, slept with everybody and everything from, from coast to coast, and because they weren't married or didn't marry someone who was divorced, they could get credentials. It, that's, that's mixed up. Yeah. So th- this is why this is such a good... Uh, a good one to, to land on and say, look, um, we uh, if it's prior to if it's prior to salvation, it's new, it, yeah. it, it's newness of life. So yeah, that should go should go without saying. The last one is annulment, right?
0: Um, having a marriage annulled, you know, it's rare, it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. And generally speaking, that's because there's some kind of a deception. Maybe that took place. The person mm-hmm. didn't disclose certain information before they got into that relationship or, or to their to their spouse to be. And uh, then an annulment takes place. And um, yeah,
1: it's yeah. it's it's interesting. In every state of of our country, you can get an annulment if consummation of the marriage hasn't happened in a certain time period. Some of them actually list it out. Some of the some of the laws do. And sometimes what happens in an annulment is is if I mean these are weird situations, but if if someone did not disclose that they were not um, capable of consummation for whatever reason, that could be an annulment kind of situation. Um, there, there could be other ones too. Total, I, would, I would say that if there's a total lying or a deception in regards to one's finances, um, mm-hmm. that could constitute uh, an annulment because all of a sudden you marry someone and they didn't disclose to you that they're $150,000 in debt that now you inherited through the marriage. I mean, yeah. that, that could be an annulment situation. Um, this is why it's very important, young people, to choose wisely. All the young people in here who are not married, please say, "Choose wisely." You're not too excited about it, but you know that's all right. <laughs> so an annulment, yeah, but an annulment, you know, some what, kind of deception.
0: I think um, so. We went, you know, these are five. These are five of the guidelines that we choose. But you know, I think that there might be a lot of people in here that they find themselves in. Maybe you're in a place where you're in a marriage and, and mistakes have been made, and you know if you had to go back and do it over again, things would be different. You know, the question becomes, what is, where do you go from here, and what do you do with that?
1: I, and a scripture that that again comes to mind that you can't you can't take out of this equation is John eight ten through eleven, and it says this. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, This is the woman who was caught in adultery, and she had the the Pharisees and the Th- those that would judge her, standing around her, they had rocks in hand, I believe, ready to stone her. And um, uh, they tried to trick Jesus, of course, and, and they said, well, well, what, what should we do with this woman? And he said, let, let he, his famous words, which were...
0: Yeah, he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then one by one,
0: they put their stones down and they leave, and then what's great is I mean the letter of the law, which is what they were operating on, would have said she should have died well, the guy should have died too, and obviously he they didn't think to pull him out of bed, but they pulled her out and she should have died because of the letter of the law, but Jesus says to her, "Where are your accusers?" and she says, they've gone, and uh he says, "Neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more and I think that's a great place yeah if you are if you're in a situation
1: morning. you know where you're First of all, there's no condemnation in those that are in Christ, amen? amen. And if you're in a situation where, where, uh, I mean, maybe maybe you've been divorced, you've been remarried, maybe that's happened several times, and you feel guilty about it from time to time, first of all, uh, you are, I, I don't believe God is, is pointing the finger at you this morning saying, you will be an adulterer till you die, and then you'll go to hell. I think you can repent, and then you can go and sin no more. Repentance doesn't necessarily mean you have to well, divorce the one you're with, and then go find the one that, you know, unscramble the eggs. How many know sin scrambles the eggs? And there's no way to unscramble them necessarily all the time. So maybe you got to go back. Maybe you have to say, make, write some letters, uh, apologize to some people if you were blatantly wrong in a situation. But remember the words. When the devil comes in and condemns you, remember the words that Jesus spoke. Go and sin no more. Here you are, you're in this place, now go and sin no more. Um, and never, ever, ever again take marriage lightly because it is um, so important. It's a holy institution. And, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that we, we can't just jump in and out of because of convenience or personal desire. Does that make sense? Have I made anybody mad here this morning? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> I'm not trying to make anybody mad, but there's a balance to this. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes those who have never been divorced can look over their nose down at people who have been. I, I, don't, I don't think that's right either. You know, their story is different. What they struggled with isn't the same things you struggled with, and you might have struggled with something that they could look there and down on their nose at you. Yeah. And that's how the church becomes divided and disunified. Let's just love one another where we're at and, and urge each other on to good works. Amen? Yeah. That's what it's about. And I and, think whatever... Yeah. I think it's
0: whatever place you find yourself in this morning, just go forward. Go forward yeah. in Christ because God has dreams for your marriage. He has dreams for you as a couple. He has kingdom ideas and kingdom dreams that he wants you to accomplish. So go forward. Absolutely. with it. There's no reason going back to the past and that. Just go and sin no more, like you said. It's yeah, warm of adultery. And
1: you know what? Uh, talking of redemption because God's nope. a God of redemption. You take that I'm going <laughs> to slap you. Um, <laughs> um, uh, God's a God of redemption. We have something we're going to do here this morning Um, and i want to ask ted and jill to come up at this time we're going to marry these two right here right now (laughs) What a way to end a service, right? It's a special morning. These two getting married is not only an act of obedience, but it's a picture of the redemption we can experience when we walk in that obedience. Ted and Jill were married to each other once before, and as it happens, so many times things didn't go well. There were conflicts and disagreements, and the bottom line is they never made Jesus the center of their marriage. They didn't know how to do that. They were not living for him and hadn't given their hearts to him yet. Their marriage ended in divorce. Not long after this couple got divorced, they started making some necessary changes. Ted got back into church, and Jill made a decision for Christ. It's pretty awesome. Then they started getting back together and even started going to church together. After they started coming to this church, they began to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit that they should get remarried. So today, we're gonna do that. In the sight of God, in the sight of all you as witnesses, and again, out of obedience to God's word, they are getting married right now. And let me say this to the both of you, your married life that you are going to experience from here on out is nothing like you've experienced in the past. Jesus changes everything, and it's Jesus that makes the difference. When he is in the center of your marriage, you will become like the triple-braided cord that isn't easily broken, talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And in a minute, you're going to say your marriage vows to one another. They are significant uh, to the holy institution of marriage between one man and one woman, I'll say it till the day I die, (laughs) according to the word of God. But before you make your vows to one another, I'm going to ask you in front of all these witnesses to make a pledge to God himself a pledge that you will faithfully keep the marriage vows that you are about to make to one another. Ted, here we go. Do you take Jill to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Keep yourself only for her so long as you both shall live. I do. And God, I'm telling you, the anointing is strong up here. God loves marriage, and he loves restoration. And Jill, as a pledge to God, do you take Ted to be your wedded husband to live together after God's ordinance in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him so long as you both shall live. I do. Ted and Jill, I want you to face one another. These are your marriage vows. So Ted, repeat after me. Look into those beautiful eyes. <laughs> I Ted. I Ted, Take you, Jill. Take you Jill. To be my wedded wife. To be my wedded wife. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better, for worse. For better for worse. For richer and for poorer. For richer and poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish till death do us part. Till According to, God's holy According to God's holy ordinance of marriage, of marriage. I, pledge to my love to you. I pledge my love to you. Jill, repeat after me. <laughs> you feel it, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, Jill. Hi, Jill. Take you, Ted. Take you, Ted. To be my wedded husband. To be my wedded husband. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better, for worse. For better For richer and for poorer. poorer, In sickness and in health. health, To love and to cherish. cherish, Till death do us part. part, According to God's holy ordinance. ordinance, Of marriage. marriage, I pledge my love to you. You You guys have uh, chosen to exchange rings today. Can I have them please? I'm going to pray for these rings. Lord God I thank you for these symbols, these rings, Lord, that are made of precious, precious metal and precious stones. God, I ask that you would make them a constant reminder to Jill and Ted of the preciousness of their love for one another. God, that you are at the center of this marriage. And God, that these are endless circles. There's no, there's no end until death do, the, do they part, God, for this covenant marriage that they're entering into today. We thank you for that, God. Bless these rings as they put them on one another's fingers. So, Ted, take her ring, place it on her finger, and say this. With this ring, With this ring I, thee wed. I thee wed. In the name of the Father, the, of the, Father the Son, the Son and, the and the Holy Spirit. And Jill, take this ring, place it on Ted's finger, and say, With this ring, With this ring I, thee wed. I thee wed. In the name of the Father. The Father, the Son, the son and, the and the Holy Spirit. Those whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. For as much as Ted and Jill have consented together in holy wedlock, and have witnessed the same before God in this company, and have given and pledged their love to each other, you have and have declared the same by joining hands and exchanging rings. I pronounce that they are man and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>
0: Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.